Woo, buckle up. All right. What does community do? What does relationship do? Community. What does it do to our lives? What does it do to our soul? When we worship together, it's way different than when we worship alone. Believe me. I mean, when I worship alone, I'm singing, and again, today we're, we're with worship, but like, I'm not singing for you. I'm not playing the ukulele, even though that was promoted last week. That's probably why you came. It's not going to happen. But when we sing together, it's way different than we si- when we sing alone. When we live a life of worship together, it's way different than when we live it alone. So what does community do? What does relationship do? What's that? It builds us up. It connects. It lets you know you're not in it alone. What else? It gets real. It gets really real. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, whoa, this is too real. Uh, but it's good. Yeah, TMI. Uh, what else? What does community do? Right. He's no respecter of persons. It's not like he's going to help this dude, but not going to help this dude. Man, well, yeah, we could, we could stay at park there for an hour. What else does community do? That's good. Strengthens. Does community strengthen us? Okay, what else? Heals. Right on. That's good. What else does community do? Encourages us. Serves. So we could go on and on and on and on, but if we're going to do what Alyssa suggested, if we're going to be real, if we're going to tell out, if we're going to speak outwardly, what we feel inwardly, then we're going to say what relationship really does to us hurts. Destroys. Relationship and community out, makes us feel outcast. Makes us feel like we're not good enough. Discourages us. Everything that you guys said, if we're real, if we're completely honest, I think sometimes we go to the immediate like, like pain that's in our soul and it screams louder than the truth. If I stub my big toe, I've got nine toes that are perfectly fine, but that hurt is telling me, dude, you got to give me some attention, right? You know what I'm trying to say. So there's this part of our soul, there's this part of our heart where that's deeply affected and deeply hurt and deeply compartmentalized. So what I'm seeking to do today is build on where Quint has been the last two weeks and done an amazing job of bringing us through what worship is. And him defining even in the first week that it's not about you. And that the second week defining that it's all about God. So this week my focus is what... What worship really is, is, is like the act of worship singing, yes, but our lifestyle of worship is telling God who He is and telling ourselves who we are in Him. This week, we're going to hit that worship is telling God who He is and that worship is also telling us who we are. We are in Him. 
We can't do that alone. We have to do this together. We have to have community. We have to have relationship. And we got to deal with that toe. We got to address that toe. And even though it may not make sense, that the healing that needs to come in your life, those areas of your life that you lock in a closet, that you, you, you seal shut, you nail it shut, whatever it is that you think that nobody can help you with, certainly those group of people ain't going to help you with it. You will actually discover that God through those people will heal you, will help you, will encourage you, will be real with you, will not be a respecter of persons. And it will bring you to a place of healing, of community, when all pride's laid aside, when yourself is put aside, when your own big toe that's hurting, those parts of your soul are killing you, drowning you. You just stop for a second and you worship. What I find is that no matter how extreme the pain is or how deep that feeling of being outcast and have nothing to bring or I don't add up or I'm just not making the cut, I can't do this. When I begin to turn and worship, it's like wiggling it off. Not to sound goofy, but that's true. When you begin to focus on who He is and who you are in Him, you lose complete sight of the, the storm you're in. You lose complete sight of the mountain you have to climb. You lose complete sight of the pain that's screaming at you. You lose complete sight of that thing that you're trying to hide and all of a sudden it seems possible that that door can be opened. It seems possible that God can go in. It seems possible that God can forgive me. It seems possible that I can change. It seems possible that I can repent. It seems possible that I can tell somebody about it. It seems possible that I can do this. It seems possible that I can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. It seems possible. And that's what community is. That's what worship is when we focus on who He is and who we are in Him. Amen? Amen. All right, that's your sermon for today. <laughs> Psych. All right, so go to Psalm... Chapter 120. So this, these four weeks, Quint, the last two weeks, myself this week, Pastor Ben next week, um, the focus is worship. Focus is worship. And we decided to take the Psalms of Ascent, is what they're called, chapters 120 through chapters 134. These are called the Psalms of Ascent. Get the idea of like it's a pathway up. Now what's the pathway up to? There's lots of significant things that we could say. And I truly want to get into the content of it. But just from a practical standpoint, this is, the, this is what like in practice the Jews did on the way to the temple. Not just the path, the journey, the road, but literally like what would happen is they, they went up the, the rounded front steps of how the temple was built as they went up Stair after stair after stair. They would recite these psalms. So think, that, think of that in your mind as we kind of go through it. These are battle cries. These are, I need you, God. These are... <coughs> mm, like Hillary Clinton. That was bad. I shouldn't have went there. Okay, think about these as they went up the stairs, as they journeyed to the temple. They journeyed to the place that they believed God resided in the Holy of Holies. 
It was a battle cry from their heart. It was a, it was a ritual, yes, but it was completely heartfelt. And for you and I, as we read this, we, I, we have to understand that this was something that was worship. These are psalms of worship. These are psalms that remind God of who he is. And it reminds us of who we are in him. And there's parts of this that reminds us of who we are without him. And if you read the psalms, and if like, I know sometimes, I'm not, this is not a joke at all. Like I'm completely serious. Sometimes uh, mental health is a stigma in the church. It's something that should be talked about more. It's something that should be addressed because it's something that affects so many of us from every which level. But if you actually read the Psalms, you get a very clear understanding that mental health is not um, a new thing. And in all seriousness, it's all over the place. Extremely emotional. I mean, there's this point, even with David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, where he's like, in one moment, he's like, I could go to the, the depths of the sea, or the high as the sky, or bury me here, bury me there, like, but God, you are always with me. You're always near me, and I can feel you so close. And in like, the next chapter, he's like, where are you, God? Like, he's completely, like, all over the place. Like, where his bones are waxing, oh, and cracking because of his sin. But yet in the same chapter, rejoicing over the forgiveness that God brought to his sin. And I'm not completely addressing every part of mental health, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Is that if you feel sometimes like, oh, like you're just not sure, where is God? He's right here. Oh, okay, where am I? Well, I can't do this. I can do this. Like, if you get that, that means you're human. And that means that we see the reader, the writers, that the Holy Spirit inspired to write even these. You get the idea that there are points where they don't know who they are, but when they find who they are in God, it is possible. Not because they are superheroes, but because they're holding on to the one who's God. And his very name is what we're going to explore today. I just want to, I want you to see, um, I know... Quint has hit a few of these uh, highlights specifically in the first few chapters, but I just kind of made some notes like in, in, in chapter 120, um, it's just that like the point is that, that he called to the Lord and he delivered me. Make no mistake about it. When you call to the Lord, he hears you. He hears you. And there's these verses specifically in the Old Testament about God can't hear you um, because of your sin. Enter Jesus who took your sin. God hears you. And your faith on Jesus makes God hear you. He hears you. He will deliver you. In chapter 21 it talks about how if we lift our eyes to God, the Lord is your keeper. He will sustain you. He will preserve you. 22 is the house of the Lord is peace. When we come into that house, and if that should be any idea, any motto for open house, that should be it right there. That when we come into a house, not that that house is perfect. And again, if you've been to my house, it's the farthest thing from what seems to be peaceful. It's chaos. Like, there's like kids flying everywhere and stuff. There's, 
animal stuff. It was like, oh, it's chaos. But hopefully in our open houses and in my house, the, the goal is peace. And that is the house of the Lord. In that is peace. It's a place where war ceases. Verse, or chapter 123 is that we lift our eyes. God will have mercy. Verse, or chapter 24, specifically in verse 8, is that our help is in the name of the Lord. I don't want to spoil this and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the name of the Lord is not just God. It's not just Lord. It's not just Jesus. People, we got to tap in to the name of God. The very name that He goes by. The very name that, by which He was named. And call on what He does in His nature and character. We can't just be vague because He is specific. 125 those who trust in the Lord will not be moved. 126, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. That is what I was saying about worship just a few minutes ago, is that when we are consumed with sorrow, we're consumed with our own stuff, or consumed with our own storm, or what's happening all around us, when we turn and we literally just begin to worship and focus on who He is and who we are in Him, this beautiful thing happens. It just shakes off. It doesn't like necessarily fix the external problem or change the immediate circumstance. God does that too, by the way. But in that moment, how we feel, in that moment, how we think is affected by where our focus is put on God Almighty because He's able to handle it. He's able to hold you. He's able to keep you. Call on His name. Trust Him. And there will be shouts of joy. Verse one, or chapter 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches the city, it's pointless. And it goes on and on and on. 128 talks about blessed is a worship lifestyle, blessed is your family, blessed, yada, yada, yada. 129, the Lord is righteous, triumph in the name of the Lord. 130 is where I want to park today. Um, chapters, chapter, Psalm chapter 130. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to read through that for yourself. If you have a phone, you have a Bible, it should be a pew or it could be on your phone. We're going to dissect it, but I want you to see it. I want you to read it. When you know your daughter's cry because you hear it so often. <laughs> okay. First one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths. We skip over that. Like we, we, we immediately know. Like what is the depths? What does that mean? We, you know. I know what the depths is. That dark night of the soul. That moment where it feels so completely lost. And all you feel is oppressed. And all you feel is darkness. It's in those moments 
It's in those moments that I cry to God. Imagine the idea of being in water, like ocean water, sinking deep. The perfect analogy of how that feels in the dark night of the soul. How many of us feel, maybe not at this very second, but maybe later tonight, or maybe three weeks from now, or maybe when it's like January and you're like, whoa, is the sun ever going to stay outside? And there's four feet of snow and like all that. Like when you feel those moments, that de- the depths of that is you got no oxygen. You're sinking deeper. And the deeper you sink, the darker it feels. The very nature of like the fact that you feel you can't even breathe. You know danger is all around you. Danger is lurking. And there seems to be no hope. You see the light, but it seems to be farther than it seems. That is the depths. That's the moment in this psalm, the psalm of ascent, even coming on the path to God where you understand that like it's there and I'm crying to you, Jesus. I'm crying to you, God. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I love this, this phrase because it's this idea of like, it's asking God to listen. When we pray, like we're asking God to listen, which isn't wrong or disrespectful or abnormal. Um, it's just kind of funny because like God is spirit and he doesn't have ears. God is here, God is everywhere, God is omnipresent. He is, but, uh, but just the idea of like, God, could you bend your ear? Like he doesn't have ears. Jesus had ears because he was a man and, and he was 100% man, 100% God. He had like physically, but like God doesn't have ears. And just the idea, even how it goes on, like bend your ears specifically to what I'm asking. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When we pray and we cry out to God, we first need to recognize who He is. And the most glaring attribute of God is holiness. God is love. God is merciful. But by His very nature, He is holy. And so when we recognize who we are, we first have to recognize who we're not. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. We're full of, the word he uses is, the, is iniquities. We've missed the mark. And we don't come to God staying in that guilt. We don't come to God staying in that junk, staying in our own junk. We are coming to God to be clean. We're coming to God to be freed. He is able hear us. He is able to forgive. This next verse, why wait for the Lord? My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. I wrote down this question in my notes this week. The Lord can deliver, right? But the question I wrote was, why do we stop believing in the deliverance of God? 
like past churchy answers. Past, well, like he can always deliver us. He can forgive all. But like I'm, I'm talking for a moment. Can I just, like, can I talk to you? Can I talk to your soul? Can I talk to your mind just for a moment? Why do we stop believing in the deliverance of God? And before I have you answer that question, I just want to express again the importance of community. The importance of community is that we remind one another of the deliverance of God. Let me say that again. The importance of community is that we remind each other of the deliverance of God. You see, when you don't believe, or your faith is weak, you're like, I don't know, man, I messed up. I'm going to, you have no idea how far gone I am. Community says, you're actually not far at all. God is able to hear you. God is able to forgive you. He is able to hold you. He is able, he will welcome you home. Just call on his name. Call on his name. And what happens in that relationship, what happens in that fellowship, listen, is that we begin to believe in one another. If, if community, community could be defined with one thing, it's believing in one another. Not for salvation. Jesus did that. But like, believing in you. I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I believe you can live the life that God has given you. I believe that God has called you to something and he's able to equip you. He's able to, to provide for you. He's able to do this. I believe that for you. And I believe, I, you believe that for me. And, and like what happens in that relationship, what happens in that, in that community, what happens in that fellowship is this beautiful thing that like all of a sudden it's possible. God is able to deliver you. And I believe it. Um, I, I recently read a story about uh, Thomas Edison and how um, when he was a young boy in school, um, he was sent home from school one day and he was sent home with a note from his teacher. And his, his mother, Thomas Edison's mother, grabbed the note from the teacher and said, Thomas, your teacher says that you can't go to school anymore because you're so gifted and you're such a genius that this school can do nothing to help you. And I'm going to recommend that you stay home and that your mother teaches you and that you get the absolute best opportunity offered for your education. Because this school is below your, your grade. So obviously, you know who Thomas Edison is. As a, a grown man, one of the, the most gifted geniuses of, our, of, of human history. Many years later, as a grown man, Thomas Edison's mother died. And he was cleaning out her, 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 her house, cleaning out her things, and he found this folded note. And he opens the note, and he reads the note, and he immediately recognizes the name is from that teacher. And he reads the note, and it says, um, Mrs. Edison, um, your son is mentally ill and completely incompetent to learn at our school. He is not allowed to come back to school anymore. Now, like, the union would have been called right away. <laughs> Something. But understand. <laughs> but what happened was, did that mom tell a little white lie? Yeah. 
But a beautiful, beautiful thing happened. She believed in her son. And she believed of her ability and believed in his ability. And rather than just going with what was diagnosed to him, she stepped in and she fulfilled the greatest, the greatest job that anyone could ever do. Parenting a child. Making them know that they can be believed in. That they can do this. That anything's possible. And Thomas Edison changed the world. And that's an amazing example. And, and like you can take that down but what, what, to your life and where you're at and let that be an encouragement. But, but ultimately what community does is that. It's when somebody's been diagnosed or someone's been outcast or someone's just been left alone or no one's ever engaged or no one's ever been a friend to them or no one's ever loved them or no one's ever brought them to a place to that, so that they can know that God can deliver them. The step to that is relationship. The step to that is a, is a hand, it's an arm, it's a hug, it's a text, it's saying, I'm with you. I'm not leaving. Come to my house, man. Come to my open house. Come to my church. Sit next to me in the pew. Drink coffee with me. Let's eat a burger. Let's do whatever it takes in relationship so you know that this is possible. That you can do what God's made you to do. Thomas Edison, thank you. Thomas Edison was meant for, to live for a reason. And God used that mom to change the world, not just use Thomas Edison to change the world. So that mom was absolutely significant. And in, yes, it was a mother and son relationship, but that is community. That is relationship. And when we believe in one another, that gives a beautiful picture of who God is to us. So who we are in community, who we are as we worship, and in our worship lifestyle, all it does is communicate to the world that God's able. All it does is communicate to the world that, that it's possible with God. When you forgive others, <laughs> get this one. <laughs> this is simple, but completely radical and hard to live. But when you actually forgive other people, when you forgive your father, when you forgive your mother, when you forgive your brother, when you forgive that coworker, when you forgive that boss, and I mean completely let them off the hook. What happens is that communicates to the world and it communicates to your people that God is able to forgive you. That God is able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That God is able to deliver you. It's beautiful. That's what worship is. Is when we put our focus on who He is and who we are in Him. I am forgiven. Who are we to say, I am forgiven and you are not, sir? Man, you don't lose anything when you forgive. You don't lose anything when you believe in somebody, even though statistically they may not be believable in. I don't think that's a word, but you understand what I'm saying. You lose nothing, but you gain everything. You lose nothing, but you gain everything. And there's some people in here that need to hear this. And I actually see a handful of new faces today. And I don't know where you're at in your life or, 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 or what you believe about God or what you believe about church. Or, and, and certainly, we, we've all been communicated the wrong way. But can I just tell you clearly, loudly, and lovingly from, from God's word is that he loves you. He made you wonderfully for a purpose. Your days are numbered, not for you to take in your own hands, 
Your days are numbered because He's got a purpose and a plan for you. He sees you. You're not alone. Don't give up. He wants to fill you. He wants to empower you. He wants to free you. He desires that more than anything in the world. And the way he chooses to do that, more times than not, is through worship and worship together. Conduit. I'm asking you to be a part of an open house. Not, again, not so that we can fulfill some statistic or say, oh man, it's great, everybody's involved in that. It's so that when you worship together, man, all your faults fade. All your faults are forgiven by the one who died for our sins. And you're equal before the throne of God. Rich, poor, every extreme to every extreme. We are equal. We are one. I love the chapter, just short, a couple chapters after 130, where it talks about the, 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 like how beautiful it is that brothers, when brothers are united, it could be brothers, it could be brothers, it could be sisters, and I love too how it references beards. But that, that's cool, that's another subject. Um, but what happens is when we are united, it's because of Jesus. Not like, whoa, dude, you got the same like, Christian resume that I do. All right, cool, we can be equal. No, man, you are so lost, or I'm so lost, or you're like, like trying to figure it out, or you're new. Like, we're all in the same boat. That was what ha- that's what happened in Acts 2. That's how the church exploded. That's how this world was flipped upside down by these early Christians, is because they saw each other as equal. And they immediately saw each other, not so simply, but it took a, it took a bit, but it happened, where they were like, all right, now this gospel can go to the rest of the world, to the Jew, to the Greek, to the uttermost. And this is what happens, because they saw everybody as it's possible for them to be delivered. It's possible for them to have God just call on His name. Call on His name. So, this past summer, um, this past summer, I uh, went with my family to this uh, family camp in uh, Michigan called Gold Lake Ministries. And it was so much fun. It was an awesome week to get away. It was just so much. It was a blast. Um, while, we, while you're there, you're, you're there with tons of other families. I believe there was about four or 500 um, people total there. And, and most of them were, were you know, families of all ages and sizes and all that jazz. Um, super fun. We met this family that uh, was super nice. They had a few kids. And, and, and obviously, it's like, when there's all these kids, like, you don't kind of lose track of like, where your kids are. And, and it's just a lot of fun things to do. And, and it's great. But this family in particular had this one child, I'd say he was probably seven years old, and uh, he had some, some uh, pretty severe um, uh, disabilities, and, and he, he was so sweet, he was so sweet, um, and he, he loved to have a good time. Uh, but sometimes him having a good time meant that he like would disappear and like go do his own thing. Now, like with his with his disabilities and where, where he was at, like that was not a good thing, um, because he uh, he had a hard time kind of um, discerning what was safe for him or what was safe for others, 
um, specifically safe for him. And like they were, they just, he needed to be in, in, in adult supervision with his parents or with a counselor at all times. And uh, I remember specifically like this, <laughs> uh, he kind of got lost a lot. And, and, and I remember like literally, it was probably three or four times that week where uh, if, if I saw a bunch of like adults like kind of like scurrying around, like looking around corners, I knew exactly what they were doing. I didn't have to wonder like, wow, they're power walking, like with jeans on, that's weird. Like some yoga pants, something. Like, but you knew, okay, they're looking for, they're looking for him. And so um, it was one of the, it was like the second to last day and we're at dinner and um, like I said, several, a few hundred people there and, and, and this woman, the, the mom, is, is, is crying. Um, completely lost. And, and you could tell it was worry-filled cry. And, and I think it was, it was fairly new because like everybody in this whole huge dining hall was, was having fun and eating their dinner. And she's over here kind of like gathering her stuff and she's just crying. And I came over and I said, um, I said, are you okay? Is there something that we can do? And she says, um, that he's, he's lost again, and, and, and I can't find him. And, and she's holding a baby, um, her baby, and, and she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where my husband is. Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, for, for once in my life, I'm like, all right, it's Superman time. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> Chris Blakesley, I'm ready. I'm like, Supermanville, and I'm like, we're going to take this on, and I'm going to find this kid, right? So I jet out the door. I'm like, babe, you got the kids. I'm gone. I'm going to find this guy. So I, I run out the door and immediately start like going around and I'm telling like any staff or any adult, I'm like, can you help me find him again? And before you know it, like I'm, we're going all over the place checking to find this kid. Um, I'm, I'm looking like, so the, it's, the, the camp's kind of on this, uh, a little bit of a, a peninsula and, and on a lake. And so there's a lot of waterfront. And immediately her concern, immediately my thought was, was the, just the danger of, of the lake. Um, my, my heart, like, actually, my stomach sank because of that. And so I went there first, and then I, and then I went over to, like, like the, where the, the gym was, and, and there was, like, a bowling alley checked, and there was, like, a, um, and then went outside, and there was, like, all this, this, like, high ropes course, like, zip line area. I thought, okay, maybe he climbed up on something like that. And then before you know it, like, I'm looking around, and there's, there's probably 20 people, adults, scurrying all over this camp. It's probably the size, the grounds is probably the size of Bergman Park trying to find this kid. And, and I realized that um, <laughs> well into my search, um, that I don't know this kid's name. And like, I didn't like stop, but like, I don't know this kid's name. But I know what he looks like. And, and there's sometimes in the church where we don't know God's name, but we know what he looks like. And we should learn his names. And we should get to know his word. But even if we don't know all the answers, even if we couldn't like say, okay, yeah, of course, the Psalms of Ascent. Yeah, I, I know what that means, and I know where that is. And, and like, maybe like we're like, hey, turn, would you turn to, 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 to Proverbs chapter 2 and you're like oh shoot where is that like you're maybe you don't know and then I'm encouraging you to know your the word of God and to know the names of God but if you don't know the name of God at least you know what he looks like he's good 
He's great. He's amazing. He's forgiving. And like, I guess my, the whole point of our lives, the whole point of our testimony, the whole point of our worship is recognizing who He is. Even if we don't know all His names, we know what He's like. We know what He looks like. And I know what He's done for me. And I know for me in my life, um, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I had this, like, all that I should have had to grasp the, the, the intimate, passionate relationship with God that I should have, but I, I, I ran from that at times. Way too many times. But then I remember how good He is. And I remember that He forgave me the last time. And I remember that He sought me the last time. And I remember He wooed me back with His Holy Spirit. And I remember the Holy Spirit inside me reminded me of the truth. And I need to tell you today that the testimony of my life should be the testimony similar to your life is that He is able to forgive. That He's able to bring you back. That He's able to give you strength. That He's able to give you peace. That He can deliver you from the darkness. That He can deliver you from sin. That He can deliver you from depression. That He can deliver you from physical ailment. That He can deliver you from all these things that seemingly consume us. You need to know, and I don't know His timing, and I don't know how exactly it works, but I believe that it does work. And I know that what he looks like is this person that I will give everything for. That I will live my life fully surrendered to him. And do I make mistakes daily? Absolutely. But I know even in my mistakes and even in my weakness, he is strong. And I may not know all of his names, but I know what he looks like. point of today and what I wanted to drive home to all of you no matter where you're at in your faith no matter where you're at in your life is that God is able and that the Psalms of Ascent like as you speak that over (laughs) He is able He is willing He is waiting He can hold the weight He's paid for your sin what are you waiting for? Why have, you, why have not you come to a place where you're completely surrendered? Where you're completely put all of your faith on Jesus Christ? What are you waiting for? He is waiting for you. He's completely able. He is pressed in even though we've shied away. He is completely engaged, even though at times we are completely disengaged with Him. So I feel like what withholds us from worship is this very fact. That we really don't believe that He can forgive us. That we really don't believe that that He can hold our weight. That He isn't good. And I want to tell you today, He is. He is good. Does that mean life is perfect? (laughs) Nope. In fact, I've had a conversation with a young man this week and he's trying to to make the right decisions and and seek God and he's got a a good foundation of of the knowledge but I think he's at a point literally where he thinks that because he's going to start following God that all of a sudden all those things around him and all the pain he's experienced and all the things that, that are like consuming him are just going to like fix. 
How many of you found that to be true? See, when we seek God, like He is able to, to fix those things and, and address those things, and I believe He brings restoration to everything. Um, <laughs> but the Christian walk, this journey, this ascent to God through Jesus is not always easy. Hardly is. It's a climb. It's not work for us to be saved. The work was on the cross, and by faith we are completely forgiven. And grace has come, allowed us to be a part of a relationship with Jesus. But that relationship leads us to the Father. And by our faith, we can be called sons and daughters of God. So back to the story, uh, this, this kid... Um, I thought of one more place he could be. And so I opened the doors to the gym and I remembered that upstairs there was like this um, exercise room. And not knowing this kid's name, I just knew what he looked like. I'm walking up the stairs and here he is. I found him. He's like on an exercise bike. He can't even like barely reach the wheels. But he's just chilling, doing his exercise, I guess, for the day. And, and then I'm like, hey, buddy. <laughs> I don't remember your name. Uh, hey, pal, friend. Hey, man. And then I think I freaked him out a little bit because he was like, who is this guy? And like, why is he so frantically trying to talk to me? And then I was like, okay, okay. I just got to like chill. Like, oh, working out, huh? And so I, I kind of just walked around for a little bit. And I'm like, and I'm like how am I going to get this kid back to his parents? How am I going to get this kid back to the father? And, and like, I'm like, oh, shoot. Because if I tell him, he's not going to come. And like, dude, we're all, like, there's all kinds of people looking for you. It probably would have freaked him out. And so I simply was like, dude, like, have you seen your dad? I've been looking for him everywhere. And he's like, I know where my dad is. He's eating in the, or he's whatever. And, and so all of a sudden, here, me and this kid walk back. And I'm like, yeah, I found him. Yeah, found him. And he brought me to the Father. And it was a beautiful, like, yeah, woo, they found him. And okay, it was good. Now I'm like, all right, this kid, like, put a leash on him or something, like, make, where he won't go away again. Like, that was horrible. It was like the stomach, like, all that. But what I realized in that moment was that kid was the only key to get me back to the Father. Like, I was in another dilemma. Once I found him, like, okay, now I found him. Like, it's like if you've ever had, like, a, a, an animal or something get loose. Like, okay, you finally find the animal. Then you're like, how do you get this thing back in its cage or pen or whatever? There's a, it's a whole other problem. Like, you're happy you found it. But, like, now how do I get back? And listen, the Psalms of Ascent is a journey. The Psalms of Ascent, and even in chapter 130, is this idea that this is the pathway, a picture, a journey, a pilgrimage to the Father. And that pilgrimage in this chapter is Jesus. Jesus is the path. Jesus is the way. And when we find the Son, we know that that Son can get us to the Father. And we know that He can deliver us from the current like struggle or stomach-dropping or, or completely consuming thing that we're in and deliver us on the path to the Father. And that is a beautiful picture of the Gospel today. In 130, it says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. 
and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is a steadfast love. A steadfast. Doesn't give up. Doesn't quit. Doesn't slow down. Doesn't drip, drip, drip. It completely consumes us and it doesn't stop with His steadfast love. It's in His nature. It's who He is. It's His very character. And for with the Lord there is a steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption. How come that hasn't been a book title? Seriously, plentiful redemption in the name of Jesus, in the path he brings, in the pilgrimage to the Father called life, the Christian life. And we can't go alone, because when we go alone, we forget. When we go alone, we get in trouble. When we go alone, we completely get consumed with what's lurking beneath. We completely get consumed with the darkness that we sink deeper into. But when we seek the light, when we follow God with one another in open house, shameless plug, in church, in relationship with family, with those that we don't know, that we want to know, with the new people, with the people that you've your first time here today. Welcome to the family. Welcome to a community where we're committed and we're willing and we're able to, not us personally, but God through us, able to walk you down the path called Jesus. Jesus isn't at the end of the path. Jesus is on you or with you in the path. He is the journey. He is the pilgrimage. Are you believing yet? Like he is able and his redemption is plentiful and it's ready and willing and, and he's able to hold you. What are you waiting for? Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't like disengage. Seek the Lord. He seeks you. He knows you. He loves you. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He will redeem his people from their iniquities. He will forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you willing to confess? Are you willing to live a life of confession? A life of worship as you seek God for who he is and you learn who he, who you are in him. Worship is recognizing to God who he is and recognizing who you are in him. I want so bad for you to believe me. This is real. This is not this is not just us like trying to put on some type of business or show or deal. This is us trying to do what God's asked us to do because we believe that there are hundreds and thousands of people in this region that don't know they can be delivered, that need brought into an open house, that need brought into a relationship where you can tell them God is able, where you can tell them that they are loved. He first loved me. He first forgave me. So when we live our lives in worship, the focus is telling him who he is focuses who we are not who you are specifically but collectively who we are together would you stand